You know, when I, when I took a spot as lead pastor, I never thought that, you know, <laughs> three months in, that we'll learn how to do church online. Okay. Well, learn how to do church outside. Well, okay. So um, you, guys are, you guys are learning along with me. And so um, I just appreciate your grace as we uh, navigate, um, navigate these times. Um, <clears throat> first thing I want to do this morning is uh, just uh, apologize a little bit for misspeaking last week. Um, and so uh, I, I've, been, I've been scolded a couple of times for how I phrased my involvement last week. Last week I said you were stuck with me. Um, and somebody said, nobody thinks we're stuck with you. Stop putting yourself down that way. Um, and, and I appreciated that and I received that well and it was all in good fun. Um, but what I meant by stuck with me um, is that sometimes I think that that I'm up here too much and, and leading too much in that when we gather as the people of God uh, to be the people of God, I love to see people involved and I love to see other faces up here and other people reading scripture and other people leading worship. So wasn't it great to have Tony lead us in worship today? Thank you so much for doing that. Absolutely. Um, and she doesn't, she doesn't do that so that I say this and so that you guys all applaud. That's, there's no part of her that probably even wants me mentioning that. Uh, and yet at the same time, that's what the body of Christ is, that we come together and we're the people of God together. Um, some of you have heard us talk about the liturgy. We're not a very liturgical church, but the, the, the translation of liturgy uh, literally is the work of the people. So that when we gather together as the people of God, it's the work of the people together. Um, it's not just a paid professional standing up here uh, bringing the word, but it's it's the body of Christ together um, bringing the word. And so I um, I just love that. I, I think our best expression of worship is participatory, where we're all involved, we're all sharing, we're all talking and singing and interacting uh, and being led by by multiple people. So thank you to the people who are so faithful on praise team and our scripture readers and everybody that's involved. Thank you so much. Um, and we're going to continue to try to, to get people involved. So if you get a, get a phone call or you get a request or, or if you're interested, or maybe you play an instrument and you're like a closet like performer, right? Like don't tell anybody. Um, we, we might find you out. Um, and we'd love to have you join us for the work of the people as we, as we come together on Sunday morning. Well, I knew this day was coming, um, and when you move through a book of the Bible or, or a portion of, of Scripture sequentially, sometimes you run against some interesting texts. Um, and for those of you who've been following along, today is uh, 1 Corinthians 5, and 1 Corinthians 5 is one of those texts that you kind of say, hmm, interesting. So if you've been reading ahead, you know, you know what's coming a little bit. Um, today, we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to start at verse... Um, 6 and work through uh, verse 13. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open those up, or maybe you have a device that you can uh, point to. I'm going to use the microphone stand so I can hold my pages. Uh, I think I just turned off my microphone. <laughs> See, we're learning together. See how that works? There's a power button on that. And I'm just going to push that. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 13. I'm reading from today from the Common English Bible. If you would stand out of respect for the reading of God's word, I invite you to do that if you're able. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Your bragging isn't good. 
Don't you know that a tiny grain of yeast makes the whole batch of dough rise? Clean out the old yeast so that you can be a new batch of dough, given that you're supposed to be unleavened bread. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let's celebrate the feast with the unleavened bread of honesty and truth, not with the old yeast or with the yeast of evil and wickedness. I wrote to you in my earlier letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but I wasn't talking about the sexually immoral people in the outside world by any means, or the greedy or the swindlers or people who worship false gods. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world entirely. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls themselves brother or sister who is sexually immoral, greedy, someone who worships false gods, an abusive person, a drunk, or a swindler. Don't even eat with anyone like this. What do I care about judging outsiders? Isn't your job to judge insiders? God will judge outsiders. Expel the evil one from among you. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. Things blowing all over the place up here. Jan's helping me out. Thank you. All right. Um, well, uh, six months ago, a little bit over six months ago, I moved um, from uh, the state of Washington to the state of Idaho. There's some differences between the state of Washington and the state of Idaho. Did you know that? Pop quiz. There is a, a few differences. First one's rain. Um, there's a lot of rain in the part of Washington that I lived in, and we had some of that rain just uh, not too long ago. It's like the, the steady, slow drizzle rain. It's not like Idaho rain. It's like Washington rain. Washington rain, just you're kind of wet all the time, just a little bit wet all the time, like all the time, 250 days out of the year. Gray skies, and you're just kind of a little wet. Something about Idaho that we didn't have in Washington is tumbleweeds. There's a, there's a few of those around here, you know? Um, I took a trip out to the, to the Elmore County dump and just along the side of the road, just, I don't know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of tumbleweeds. I don't know. I don't know how to, how to scale those, the, the, the magnitude of those, those things. Uh, and there's this mountain home wind that I've been warned about and keeps blowing our pages across the stage. And, um, uh, it's great. I, I heard that this is the second windiest city in the, in the nation because there's one that already calls itself the Windy City. So um, one of the things about living uh, Idaho that is uh, there's, and, and my dad's from Idaho. My dad lives in Boise, Meridian area. Um, and he's not sure he wants people moving to Idaho. I don't know if you, I don't know if you feel that. There's, I see some hands back there. So there's a couple people, but, but you're, you're kind of trying to hold this, this secret, I think like, don't, don't tell people how great we are. Um, what I've learned is that I'm lucky I'm not from California. I think Washington is a close second. Um, but, uh, you know, people aren't, aren't keen about Californians uh, coming here. Um, but there's different ways of thinking. There's different attitudes. There's different thought patterns. There's different cultures as you move from state to state. We get caught up a little bit in that, those changes here in this chapter. Uh, we have a little culture shift um, th that's happening. What sounds completely out of bounds um, in, in our culture today uh, was a little more normal back then. And uh, 
due to the, the age of the ears that are present with us today, because we don't have kids' church, I didn't read the first five chapters of this, of this chapter. Um, uh, the, five verses, the first five verses of this chapter um, really indicate just some interesting things about what life was like in the Corinthian church. Um, and what doesn't make sense in, in our heritage and in our culture, which is primarily Judeo-Christian mindset and culture, uh, has been what shaped us and, and, and what we understood and what we understand it. And the Corinthian church was from a completely different culture. <laughs> they were like from California <laughs> or from Washington. Just a, a different place, a different setting, a different time, a different uh, set of expectations as they were shaped by the Greco-Roman culture uh, of, of the first century. Well, this was Paul's mission field. This is where Paul went on his missionary journeys. Perhaps you've heard of Paul's missionary journeys. And he, he went around this uh, Greco-Roman world and this Greco-Roman culture, setting up churches all over the place in this culture. So Paul knew what he had to talk about. Paul had an understanding of this culture. Um, and, and so he talked about these things. Uh, he talks about a, a number of ways that, that culture had, had shaped life. Um, and and he's, he's a little critical. And, and there's some things that, uh, even at the end of the chapter, he talks about sexually immoral, greedy, someone who worships false gods, an abusive person, a drunk, or a swindler. And he says, we don't need that in our lives. But he was used to this other way of living. When he talked to the church in Thessalonica, when he talked to the Colossians, when he talks to the church in Ephesus, he talks about all of these behaviors over and over again. Because they were all set up in churches that, that were of this Greco-Roman culture. And when they decided to follow Jesus, they were introduced into a new way of living, a new way of doing life. Um, and so what, what seems pretty weird and uncommon and, and out of place for us uh, had actually become a, a place uh, where this church had been bragging, <laughs> a subject of bragging for this church. The, the interesting part of this passage, though, as weird as what they were bragging about sounded to our ears, um, Paul doesn't really address the behavior all that much. As you read through the, as you read through the chapter, he doesn't he doesn't address the behavior. What he talks about is the response of the church. Uh, Paul is much more frustrated and spends much more time in this chapter talking about the church's response than the sinful action. And how does the church respond? When we first started this uh, this journey through Corinthians, I, sa I said that probably the, the, the most interesting thing about this chapter or this book of 1 Corinthians is that it gives us the most well-rounded, the most thought-out picture of Paul's ecclesiology. And then I said this big word, ecclesiology. Like, what does that mean, Freebird? Come on. Um, ecclesiology is, is the study of the church. What does it mean when we gather as the body of Christ? What does it mean as we come together? And Paul, this is an example of how Paul doesn't really talk about the behavior much. What he talks about is the response of the church. 
the response of the faithful, that there are those that have said, I want to follow Christ. I want to follow this crucified Messiah. As crazy as that sounds, as awkward as that is, that we would start a, a new revolution of thought based on one who got crucified on a tree. As crazy as that is, that's this new way of life. And, and Paul is interested in teaching his churches how we respond and how we take this journey together. But Paul's admonition to the church that, that, uh, that, that we take, that, that the church in Corinthians takes this seriously is, is crystal clear. Uh, and he jumps, he jumps to a, a metaphor, and this is kind of where we dove into this chapter. He switches to 11 example, a baking analogy. <laughs> I might be the least qualified person to speak on this matter, the matter of baking. That's not my forte. That's not how I, that's not how I work. Um, but he speaks about this tiniest little bit of, of imperfection, okay? Uh, and, and what I've heard, what I've read is that in, in yeast and in, in like, like sourdough break, baking, what you can take is a little bit of dough from the previous batch and then mix it into the, to the old batch and that, that helps the, the new batch of dough rise. And some of you are bakers and I'm probably butchering this, but, but what, am I, am I close? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. I appreciate that. Appreciate that affirmation. Um, but Paul says, don't leave that there. Don't leave that little imperfection there. Don't cut it out. Who wants a, a, a nice bottle of water right now? If I said, I've got this great ice cold water for you, but I just added a little bit of poison into it. Just stirred it up there. Just, it's diluted. It's no, no big deal. CeeLo gave me this water, so I know it's safe. So, um, <laughs> who, wants a, who wants an egg that's just partially rotten? Who wants a gallon of milk that only has a few chunks floating in it, you know? Nobody wants that. It ruins the whole batch. It ruins the whole batch of dough, the whole egg, the whole gallon of milk. The nuanced part of this analogy, the part that we have to pay attention to, is that, that he ties it back to the, festo, the Passover festival. Uh, the Passover was this festival where, where they remembered the final plague of Egypt. Do you remember that? When Moses led his people out of Egypt? And he kept going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh would say, no. And a swarm of locusts came and covered the land of Egypt. And life was miserable. And so uh, that, that plague would pass. And Moses would go back to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say no, and another plague would come, like COVID-19. No, I don't think that was there. Um, but this final plague of Egypt that prompted Pharaoh to kick the Israelites out uh, was, was the death of the firstborn. And, and the Israelite people, do you remember what they were told on that night? They were told, bake your bread without yeast. Why? I have some bakers here. What's that? You ain't got time for it. You don't have time. It takes less time. You don't have to wait for the dough to rise. The Israelites needed to be ready because they were going to receive the word. Uh, and they, they went on faith saying this was going to be the night that we're going to be able to escape our oppression and escape this slavery that we've been in for generations. 
And so they made their bread without yeast so that they could leave at a moment's notice. And Paul's tapping into that analogy, tapping into that ritual. It was that very ritual that Jesus led the night he was betrayed when he broke bread and gave it to his disciples and that this is my broken body which is given for you. Paul's tapping in to this, this Jewish ritual that had become so beloved and, and that Jesus reshaped into communion that we, with the sacrament that we celebrate even today. Paul speaks of, the, uh, speaks of Christ as the sacrifice and speaks of the new covenant he established. This new covenant is covered with sincerity and truth, he says. At the same time, turning this whole discussion back to Christ, which was the one who they were following. That, that the purification of the church, that cutting out that bad yeast wasn't about, <laughs> I got my life kind of all put together. I, I got this thing figured out. He said, Christ is our example. Christ is the reason that we move toward this holy life. That we try to be consistent, that we try to be whole in Christ. Verse 9 has a little surprise for us. It, re it reveals that we, that we don't have all of the letters to this church. Did you see that in verse 9? He said, in my former letter. Well, we don't have that one. Some of the, some of the, the uh, commentators call that uh, first or a Corinthians. So we have 1 Corinthians, we have 2 Corinthians. There is apparently another letter that didn't get saved, that didn't end up in our Bible. But it, it leaves open this hanging question. What's, what's the backstory? What, how, did, how did the Corinthian church get here? What has the conversation been? Clearly there is one. Okay, not only had Paul written to the Corinthians, but Paul, the Corinthians had sent word to Paul, or, or word had gotten to Paul. How do we know that? He's saying, why are you bragging? <laughs> That's what we started in verse 6. Why are you bragging about this that you shouldn't be bragging about? Paul is, is having to explain himself. He's, he's saying, explain let me help you understand what I meant by, say, by saying, keep your distance from the immoral person. He's not talking about the world. He's not saying, keep yourself away from the immoral in the world, from the greedy in the world. He's saying to, to keep your distance from those people in the church, the people who say, yeah, I follow Christ, and yet continue to live that way. Try to avoid that in the world, Paul says. And he said, well, <laughs> you'd have to leave the world. <laughs> There's only one way to avoid that in the world. But that's not what he's saying. That's not his instruction to us at all. He says, but in the church, in the church, in the body of Christ, when we gather together to worship the name of Jesus, we're called to a higher standard, measured by a, a different rubric Early in the chapter, there's, there's an example of, of just such a person. And the church is bragging about it. And Paul, Paul's like, oh, you know, the, the face palm emoji, um, saying, let me, let me explain what I meant. There's a quote that I want to I read to you here um, that I pulled out of one of the books that I was reading on this, on this chapter. And it says this. It talks about how the church today sometimes gets this wrong, sometimes flip-flops this. 
this is this. It doesn't, it doesn't take too much observation to note that all too often the opposite has tended to prevail in the church. On the one hand are those who advocate the strictest separation from the world. Oh, not going to do that. Not going to do that. Going to stay away from those people. Oh, and those people and that people. But who allow many of sins, many of the sins Paul condemns, verses 10 and 11, to thrive in their midst. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us in the church for the times when that's been our angle, when we've said, separate from the world, we want to stay separate from this, and then we allow other things to thrive in our midst. On the other hand, are some who adopt the Corinthian attitude almost totally, usually on the basis, well, we're all sinners, right? Thus they live in the world as those who would also be of the world. So the distinctions between those inside and those outside are razor thin if they exist at all. In such cases, the church ends up judging neither those on the inside nor those on the outside. Hmm. Hmm. Sometimes that, that's convicting to me. Sometimes that, that, that pierces how I live and, and the way that I've gone. And I say, I, I want to I wanna live different. I want to be a part of a church that, that's committed to living different. What's really interesting, and this is where we're working through Corinthians together in one, one setting and, and one series is just so powerful. This is interesting in how it marries to what we talked about last week. Because there, there was some language about judging last week. I don't know if you remember that. You remember how Paul was saying, no one gets to judge him? <laughs> he was the bearer and the manager, the steward, the servant of God's message for God's people. And what did he say? He said, only, only God gets to judge me. Because I bear his message. I bear the words from God. And, and I think Paul was thinking maybe, well, maybe people think that, you know, everybody kind of gets a free pass, and boom, you know, <laughs> here comes chapter five. Mic drop. Paul walks away. No, actually, he has 11 more chapters. Um, when it comes to the message of the gospel, the, the charisma, the proclamation of God, Paul was a servant of that truth, and that truth belongs to God, and he said, God is my judge. We read that in chapter four. But when it comes to our lives, when it comes to our own lives and, and how we live, that's on us. That's holy living, and that's the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ to which these people were just now being introduced. We live differently, and we get to own it. And it's one of the reasons that I love the Church of the Nazarene. The Church of the Nazarene talks about what it means to, to live a holy life, that, that when Christ comes in and saves us, that's not the end of the journey. In a lot of ways, that's the start of our journey of holiness. And even as this section leads into chapter 6, we see why Paul thinks that this, this immorality that, that he has been talking about is, is so important to touch on, so critical. He says, this is a sin against your own body. This is a sin against your own body. Why do we not take more care? 
In chapter 3, he talked about this, that the yous, y'all, we all together formed the temple of God. Don't invite that in. Don't let that be part of who you are. But that is a sin against your own body. Don't celebrate that. Don't brag about that, Paul says. That's nothing to brag about. The last piece here is one of, of implementation and interpretation. In, in a year where, where our theme is, is becoming one, we have a chapter like this, and how are we going to do this? What, what is this going to look like? And we're not starting a ministry called the, called the Immorality Police, okay? We don't need holiness officers walking around like uh, homeowner association, uh, you know, <laughs> presidents who say, uh, your head, have you seen that, that commercial where <laughs> the homeowner association president like takes a chainsaw and cuts down their mailbox and says, it was two inches over the limit. Uh, we don't need that. That's not how we become one. That's not how we be the church together. What do we need? We need the humble, broken people of God to live rightly and to live in relationship with one another, knowing each other's lives, becoming one who, as we band together, care enough to share our lives with one another. That that's what the body of Christ is, that that's how we get to live life together, even in the midst of social distancing and COVID-19 and masks as well. How do we care enough to share our lives with one another? And in those moments where we see reflections of the world that creep into our lives, where we're not living as the church should live, we invite conversation and correction. I want to tell you, as your pastor, I need those relationships in my life. And not just with other pastors and other people, but I need those relationships with my own community, with, with the church that I worship in, because that's healthy living. I'm not perfect. I don't get it right all the time. And sometimes conversation needs to happen. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Corinthians were proud of it. They were bragging. Why are you bragging, Paul says. And he, says, he also says, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to stand for it. But we can be better. And we can be holy. Amen.